Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. I'm Randy, and today Bethany Walsh, the VP of Marketing at Alloy, joins us to talk about her career and the buyer journey that she's created. Now, she's really joined a unique opportunity now at Alloy, a company that's just raised 40 million as a Series B before any marketing was brought in. So she's got a challenge ahead of her there. But over the last five years, she's had a unique opportunity living through a PE roll-up, as I call it. This is when a private equity firm comes in and continues to bring together through acquisition different companies. Now, very often when you hear about this, you hear that the early employees from the companies move on, or they bring in more senior leadership from a marketing and other areas of the business to determine the path. But what's unique about Bethany is she managed to continue to put herself at the table, bring ideas, speak up as she describes it to ensure that she was able to help see each step. Over her time there, she went from being the fourth employee at a company called Abacus, to one of 800 employees as a VP of marketing, overseeing the growth and overseeing the strategy to pull all these brands together. Really exciting story and one that we unpack. We also hit on a unique challenge, which is kind of both tied to the roll-up strategy, but also the industry she's been in, which are very dry industries sometimes in our mind. IT, security, areas like that, including where she's been more recently in FinServe. And she talks about how to create the right tone for those industries, when you can kind of soften it up a bit and when you have to take more of a logical approach in the type of marketing that you put forward. This is a great episode for anyone who's living through high growth, change in the organizations or want to be part of that environment. This is my chat with Bethany Walsh. Bethany, thanks for stopping in here to chat about your journey. Let's start with your career and tell us a little bit about how you landed this opportunity to be VP of Marketing at Alloy. Yeah, Randy, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I'm really excited about my brand new role at Alloy. Um, I've been here for about two months. I was really fortunate to um, reconnect with an investor from my last company, um, and I found this uh, really great platform who is in the process of creating a category in banking software. I had a lot of um, interest in the space, in the fintech space, and I really just kind of persevered and pushed my way into introduction to my to the team and uh, started, you know, kind of a team of one at Alloy, wow. no existing team. So that's very different than when you're where you're coming from, although there is a link as you hit on, you know, talking about, getting to this opportunity through an investor. You had a very unique experience as VP of marketing and growth marketing in different roles under a PE roll-up. Maybe you can tell us what that experience looked like, but let's start from the beginning. Like, How did it start? Did you know you were getting into a roll-up situation? No, no idea. Um, So I joined a company called Abacus. I was employee number four. Uh, They didn't even have a sales team or a customer success team. 
But I met one of the co-founders. We hit it off. We ended up chatting for like two hours in a coffee shop. It felt like a really you know good time, good fit. I was excited about the product, just kind of jumped in, you know, both feet first and and got to help build a lot of really cool stuff there, um, you know, hands in a lot of different places that you don't normally get to be involved as a marketer. I want to just pause you there because, it, you know, we're going to tease our audience with the middle of the story. But when you, you know, as things progressed there, how you said you were like employee four. Yeah. As this thing rolled up. How many employees did this scale to? Uh, just over 800, I think. It's over 800. That's amazing. And so when did you realize that this was no longer about just like an organic growth story, but rather a roll up? Like what, what stage did you and this you know, co-founder that you had a coffee for, when did you start to get into the loop to that strategy? Uh, we didn't do that until two and a half years in. So I spent a lot of time there really building out the brand and competing with some you know, well-known companies in the space going through all the things that small startups do. And then that became our exit plan, um, you know, is being bought by this, this PE firm. And so during the process of being acquired, I was uh, lucky to be involved throughout the whole um, process. I was aware of what was going on in terms of also helping to create, you know, all the, the due diligence materials and going through that process and everything. Um, and then I just decided to stick around and see what was on the other side of the fence. So, so let's dig into that because, you know, for those who are not familiar with the PE model, many PEs kind of have a playbook. And the PE playbook very often is don't worry so much about the current management, worry about the management we're going to bring in. Mm-hmm. You managed to stay on for you know years and more roll-ups. How many roll-ups of different companies, or I, I know that's a tough word sometimes, or acquisitions and mergers of, of other companies, did you continue to oversee marketing through? I think that there was a total of eight or nine. We acquired some for the products that they were and some as you know whole independent brands that we were going to maintain and, and continue to run. What do you think was the key for you to give confidence to the investors, confidence to, you know, these new marketers that were coming in that you were the person to to lead on an ongoing basis? Yeah, I made um I made myself very visible. You know, I think being um so close to the co-founder at Abacus, I, you know, kind of put myself at the table in a lot of meetings that you know, quite frankly, if the company had been bigger, I might not have been able to be a part of, but, you know, I was part of the uh, senior leadership team at Abacus. And so as we were introducing Abacus into the portfolio, we, you know, had a lot of meetings where we were explaining, you know, what does Abacus do? What are our historical metrics? Um, And I worked very hard to make sure that I had a voice at the table, you know, that I was presenting something at every meeting and that I had um, valuable data to share. So, as I mean, that talks about the exec table, if you will, or the board table. What about with these individual marketing teams that were rolling up? How did you go about winning some of them over, getting them to buy into whether it's the Abacus vision or the Embers? You know, which was the, the parent company that was formed. How did you sell that vision to these new teams coming in? 
I subscribe very much to the servant leadership um, style. So anything that I ask my team to do, I do first, um, or I have to be willing to do myself. I felt the need to go in and help the other teams. Whatever they were struggling with, I just wanted to make myself available. I just wanted to offer my own past experiences, um, sort of a very judgment-free zone, if you will. You know, just tell me what I can help you with. And then, you know, let's just have, you know, nerd out over marketing chats, right? Like, you know, let's talk about funnels and lead scoring and all that cool stuff. And yeah, I think it just, it takes a little time um, and it's a very sensitive situation that you're in when you're trying to bring these teams together, especially when you've all been competitors for years. You know, we were all the exact same type of solution in the exact same space. And everyone was very nervous about, well, what does that mean for me? Where do I fit in? And so offering reassurance and, you know, making people feel valuable uh, goes a long way. That's great. I mean, that sounds like something that anyone could buy into, uh, you know, real team mentality. So I'm curious, just, you know, bringing back to present day and your decision to join Alloy, I think you said another small team, early stage, you know, you had got into this stage, as you said, where 800 employees, many marketers, I don't know how many marketers, but I'm sure there was more than, than a handful. Like 40. 40, yeah. How did you weigh your next step? Because I think a lot of people listening to this may say, well, why would you go back to the beginning um, or, or that early in the beginning versus something more in a growth stage? What, what is it about this opportunity that, that really won you over? I mean, I think, uh, you know, being self-aware is very important, right? You know, understanding what it is you like, why you like it, what your learning style is. I am very much an early stage marketer. Most of the companies I've been at, I've either been the first marketer um, or very, you know, second or third, never more than that. And um, the reason is I like to build. Um, I like, you know, problem solving. I like starting from nothing and creating something that's really awesome um, and something that can scale. And so, you know, what was great about my time at Imburse is I could see what, you know, what did scale, what broke, what, you know, where was that kind of end of where this process provides value and you need to pick up something else. For me, you know, I, I stayed at Imburse for a couple more years, um, you know, over the acquisition. And I think the role that I took eventually at Imburse was still very entrepreneurial. It, there was no customer or partner marketing in place. And so the last role I had there was really building out those strategies. So again, it was building something that didn't exist. And I think when I decided to leave, it was because I was really kind of itching to build out my own team again. I was really, you know, looking for another company that I could help scale because that's just what I love to do. I think it sounds appealing to a lot of people, but once you get in it, it can be really scary. Like, how do you make the first decision? Of, yeah, there's nothing there. There's no data to back up any of your decisions. You're just kind of like, well, I think that'll work. And so I just wanted to get back to that. And I think Alloy was a, a great transition. It's kind of a, a really unique situation where they were 
just uh, raising their Series B. So they were just raising $40 million, but they really didn't have a marketing team. They had done it all through you know, recommendations, referrals, word of mouth. Um, so they had an established sales team, an established customer success team, and they really just needed someone to come in and figure out marketing, you know. Yeah. So that you make it sound easier than uh, than said for both sides of that, getting to that stage and figuring out marketing. And, you know, we'll, we'll dig a little deeper. I mean, you call yourself a builder. We're going to talk about building the right buyer journey right here after a break on the marketer's journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. So one of the things that I like a lot about Bethany is she knows the type of marketing that she excels at. She knows the type of company that she's going to be a fit at. And I think she hits on this idea of being able to be a builder and building teams, building strategies. And she's so right about the excitement that's possible at an early stage startup. The question I've got for you is, are you able to bring that builder mentality into a later stage organization? Now I can tell you myself, at Uberflip, we've seen building happen at different stages. We had to build certain infrastructure at the early stage and we had to adapt both as our go-to-market strategy adapt, as the type of customers we were trying to sell to. And similarly, I've seen customers in our customer advisory group who have talked about the different strategies in the building that happens later on. So the thing I think you need to question is how do you bring that builder mentality in no matter what company you're in? This doesn't have to be an early stage opportunity. Don't get me wrong, I think Bethany's doing exactly what she loves and I commend her for that. But I think we can learn from Bethany and figure out how to take that builder mindset and bring that into any organization. So you're starting to look at your career and there's a bit of a trend here, right? There's companies that are in the financial space. There's companies that are in the IT space. I mean, these are not easy things to sell. Uh, You know, they're kind of sometimes boring. uh, And I don't mean that offensively to the products. They're probably very helpful. But why do you choose these industries? I mean, is this now like you're locked into it or you like it? Um, I usually look for it. It's something I can relate to. You know, I am a very kind of logic and process driven person. You know, when I think about how I like to be sold to and the things that are important to me during a marketing or sales process, I kind of follow the same path or the same journey that, you know, these risk adverse and kind of compliance driven um, verticals take, which is authenticity. And, you know, a lot of people talk about that and, and what it means around a brand. 
what is often happens is, you know, people think of those industries and say, well, you can't be creative because you have to focus so much on trust building. You can't do anything fun. And I like to think I have a very good sense of humor, even though that's how I buy. So I I feel like I kind of have a knack now for talking to those poor people who get ignored or, you know, thought of um, as less fun people. Um, we're, we're painting them in such a dangerous way here. But, <laughs> but to, your, to your point, I mean, you, you hit on this idea of authentic and, you know, very fact-driven, if you will. I mean, I, I often, I'll be honest myself, I, I veer sometimes more heavily to the emotional side of marketing. How do you rally a team around deciding that tone that you're going to take with your brand and if you've got to be very fact-based, as you said, very logic-based, do you stick with that all the way through? Or what are the times where you can let down your guard a bit with that audience? Yeah, I think a lot, uh, I think about it a lot like relationship building. You know, if you're introducing yourself to someone, you don't really kind of start out of the gate with like, you know, shooting dad jokes or puns or something necessarily, you know, you introduce yourself, you tell them your name, maybe what you do, where you live, depending on the situation. Um, and then as you get to know them a little bit more and you kind of test their boundaries of, you know, what do they think is funny and what's appropriate, you kind of open up a little more and you loosen, you loosen up and, and you let your guard down a little bit. And, um, you know, we kind of had a rule of thumb at Abacus, which was like, if we don't know you, then we're just going to be straightforward. Here's the facts. Here's probably the things you're looking for. We want to be helpful and answer your questions so that you'll want to come back and talk to us again. And then as we get to know each other a little bit more and, you know, you're on our blog, we still have that helpful vibe, but, you know, maybe we throw in some things that are a bit more interesting and lighthearted, like listicles and, you know, things like that. And then once we get to know you and you're our customer, we're going to make it really personal and, um, you know, have a lot of fun. And we started having puns in our marketing or, you know, our customer holiday gift one year was a cookbook where everyone from the company submitted their favorite recipe. You know, and it was just a way that it made us human and, you know, allowed us to have some of those more fun conversations. Um, but it, it's just like building this kind of solid relationship where, you know, we have good intentions, you know, we're trying to help you. We want the best for you. We left most of our content ungated for that reason, because we were just trying to put information out there that we thought was helpful. And then once you were ready, you know, you were going to come to us and ask for help. And marketing drove 90% of the pipeline at Abacus. That's, that's great. I mean, that number of 90% of driving and, and you know, created from marketing is, is fantastic. How do you layer in a buy-in, not just from the marketing program's perspective, but the human element that you're talking about? So, you know, through that process, you're going to have a sales rep, as you said, on a customer marketing side, which we, we know you you kind of pioneered there later in your time at Abbott. At, uh, Inverse. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I got the two names almost confused there for a moment, but uh, you, you took on this customer marketing role where, you know, you're going to have to work closely with the CS team. How did you determine to get them to buy in to use that language at the right stage? It almost came through a solid hiring strategy. 
our brand lived within all of our employees. And so it wasn't difficult to say, hey, be your authentic self, you know, be a helpful person, be a kind person. Um, you know, those are traits you look for when you're hiring somebody. And I think instilling that brand all the way from day one of, you know, this is who we are, you know, are a little idealistic and we just want to make the world a better place. You know, like that's just started to come through in their their conversations naturally because of that. I mean, that's obviously harder once you scale, um, you know, Absolutely. those things, but. So on that, let's let's kind of go back to the the challenge that you had to go through of bringing in these other brands who may have decided to go more on the emotional side of things earlier and not with the the, the logic and the stats and everything that you believed in. How did you adapt those brands? Was it a hard cutover or was it something that you progressed over time? I think that you know, we were lucky in that the other large brand had a very kind of, um, although it was an, it actually was emotionally centric, it was based on this idea of happiness. Um, it was still closely tied to this idea of helpfulness um, and kindness. And so it was an easier kind of transition to, you know, get them to buy into that where we actually had the most issue was around the BDR team, you know, so their BDR team was like outbound, cold call, like nonstop. Um, and so getting them to kind of think about, okay, well, maybe we don't want to like keep calling someone even if they've told us not to, you know, and, and implementing some of those like process driven things, you know, and that takes a little bit of time and some retraining um, and, you know, some management changes and things like that um, if needed. But that's ultimately where we had to start making that switch was more in like the human element of it. And then, you know, taking a gate down off a landing page isn't that hard. So. Absolutely. That's great advice. And it, it's a great point about the BDR side. So as, as you take on this, this new brand, this, you know, very immature brand, if you will, versus where you came from, what's one thing that you plan to do different this time around with tone, with approach, you know, what's something that you look back and say, now that I've been there and done that, I'm going to, I have a, I'm going to tweak my playbook. Historically, one of my first hires has always been a content marketing hire. And, you know, one of the changes I'm making this go around is I hired a product marketing person first. And the reason was because I really wanted to focus on aligning the value of our product with our our marketing and in making that very central so that as we built the brand it was all um it was all aligned across all of our teams and and we could talk about value messaging and so doing that in conjunction with uh, I just kicked off a brand strategy project um you know sitting down with someone to help us tie all of our thoughts together um, and those were things that I kind of shied away from at past companies because I was like, you know, we're not big enough for that or we're not ready for that. Um, so doing those things earlier um, and investing in that from the beginning is is the thing that I've kind of changed my tone on. 
That's great. Well, and also to your point, I mean, you've joined a company that just raised a $40 million round. That helps. You've got a little bit of, of early runway. Uh, you know, I'm sure you'll be smart about how you spend it, but uh, that's an exciting stage. Uh, Bethany, this has been great already. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back here just to understand how you disconnect amid all of this, amid this world that we're in right now, right back here on the Marketer's Journey. So what Bethany's hitting on here is really the importance of tone. The way your brand comes across to your buyers has to be consistent. This is something I talk a lot about in Fuck Content Marketing, the book I wrote that you can grab on Amazon. But this is something that you really have to bring into your organization. We took this on at Uberflip ourselves this past year when we realized that we had different people in our organization using different tones. And, and when they don't use tone in a consistent way, we end up with messages, whether it's an email, a sales follow-up, even marketing messages that feel very disjointed. If you wanna check out ours, it's really well organized now. We used an app called Lingo, which allowed us to really provide a kit for our whole organization. Just go to brand.uberflip.com. You're not gonna see any of our you know, sales pitch or anything there, but you'll see how we communicate with our organization to ensure everyone's on the same page. We do things like give people a brand overview, help them understand guidelines for writing content, even messaging guidelines, which are more internal. You won't be able to click there. You need a password, but it allows us to really ensure that everyone's on the same page. And I think what Bethany is hitting on is the importance of mapping that out throughout the journey, ensuring that at every single stage, everyone's on side with the tone you are going to take, especially in her case, where she's overseen so much consolidation into an organization. So Bethany, I can only imagine that through eight acquisitions, I think you said, that there kind of felt like never there was a time to disconnect. You probably always had to figure out how to be there for these new teams that were coming in. How do you make time though to prioritize yourself, those around you in your personal life? So in the midst of all that, um, I had a baby. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Um, so first time mom that was a very jarring experience of forcing myself to reprioritize my time. I think historically speaking, I and so many people are very guilty of the never off, right? Especially with Slack and, you know, email on your phone and all of that. I had a smartwatch at one point, horrible idea, um, <laughs> got rid of it. Best thing I ever did. I think it's, having a child really put into perspective, you know, the time that you need to turn off. So I set very clear boundaries now at work. You know, I work nine to six. If I choose to respond outside of that, great, but don't expect it. And so setting those expectations has been great. And Alloy really, their culture respects people's boundaries. And so finding a company that is also, um, cares about you as a human being and how you're handling things helps in that regard. And then, you know, it's little things, you know, like you just leave your phone in the other room, you put it in, uh, you know, on do not disturb, 
at the end of the day, I'd rather do bath time than answer a Slack message. <laughs> well, listen, before you, how old's, how old's the baby now? He's almost one. He'll be one in December. Enjoy bath time now. Eventually, the kid will take your phone and you'll, you know, you'll be free that way. He's already trying. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, this has been great. So much great advice from your career to the way you've you know, managed tone, I think are really important lessons for people tuning in. If you've just stumbled across Bethany's story for the first time with our podcast, there's so many other great stories. I hope you'll tune in. I hope one day you'll get to share your story on this podcast. And until next time, a big thank you to Bethany Walsh. And this has been The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to The Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 